Welcome to the HCI Family of Podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Serby Law, welcome to the conversation today. Thanks for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from New York. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about building intentional community in hybrid work settings. Now, community is important in any workplace, uh, but it can be extra challenging when you have remote workers or hybrid workers. And in some cases, I think it's even more challenging in a hybrid environment than in a fully remote environment because you're juggling uh, people who are there in person and people who aren't and back and forth. Uh, it just really can be challenging. And if we believe that belonging matters and that community matters, then we should have strategy around it. And we should be intentional about creating that kind of a, a culture and an environment so that everyone can thrive and, and bring their whole selves to work and do their best work. Uh, while they're either in person or working remotely. As we get started, I wanted to share Serby's bio with everybody. Serby Lal is in the business of creating a better future of work, whether it be remote, hybrid, or in person. A boundary-spanning leader, she is a facilitator, professor, and storyteller who creates spaces where people feel seen and builds workplace communities where people want to go to work. Using empathy and strategy, she guides leaders in creating cultures grounded in inclusion, belonging, and learning. She has coached thousands of job seekers, entrepreneurs, and organizations to help them create a better future of work. Now, I could go on, but I'm going to pause there, I'm, and I want to give you a chance to highlight anything from your background, your personal context, uh, before we dive on into the conversation. Yeah, thanks, John. I, you know, I really think that from my my time talking with job seekers, I saw so many career tiers, and I think we can do better, right? Societally, we can do better to create less career tiers. And we do that by creating cultures and communities at work where people feel like they can, they belong, where they feel like they're doing good work. And frankly, if it's not working for anyone, having really good conversations about how to let folks go. Um, mm, so I really yeah. take a humanistic approach to the world of work because we have come from work that is really extractive and we don't have to be in that place anymore, but it is going to take intention and it's going to take uh, recentering how we think about work. I love that. Maybe talk for just a minute a little bit more about this idea of extractive work versus really where we should be going as in, in the current workplace and moving into the future of work. Yeah, sure. I mean, the the our current our current workplaces are built on um, you know decades and hundreds of years of work in the U.S. that came a lot from from enslavement. Um, and so really thinking about humans as an input into creating an output for the people who are sitting at the top to make the most. Um, and I think we're in a different space. You know, that may have worked. And I would say probably didn't work for a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but now we're in a place where people have a lot more agency. There's more freedom. And we still have vestiges of this old 
kind of sense of work. Um, so command and control leadership, for example, comes from that. And now we think about leadership as coaching. We think about leadership more in an education sort of space. We think about um, how does everybody feel like they fit and belong and, and create together. We have self-managed teams. You know, we don't have people. I, I have not met somebody who says, I want to work for a micromanager. Um, <laughs> so in that sense, things have shifted. And as we are moving into a space where we are going to rely on technology more and more, we actually have to rely on each other as humans more and more as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. And again, I, I, I like the framing of extractive work in acknowledging how it's problematic. <laughs> uh, and, and just because that's how it was always done in the past doesn't mean it's how it should be done currently or in the future. And we can get to much more uh, empowering forms and models of work today uh, that are better for everybody. Uh, you you also highlighted just a moment ago, um, you know, it worked, quote unquote, worked for many, but it didn't, it absolutely didn't work for a whole lot of people. And, and exploitation is, is never a winning long-term strategy, in my opinion. And so, you know, whether we're talking about environmental exploitation or employee exploitation uh, and extraction, et cetera, like it, it's problematic. There are all sorts of perhaps even intended consequences, but certainly unintended consequences that come from that. And so, um, you know, taking, you know, a more holistic, healthy approach towards just our general vision of work, I think is really, really important as we move into the future. Um, and as I teased the the topic for today, you know, I talked about how community and a culture of belonging is important in the workplace generally, uh, but certainly for uh, hybrid work communities, hybrid work settings. Um, let's start broad and zoom, then zoom in. Um, can you tell us a little bit more from your experience and perspective, why is community and belonging so vital? Um, and, and why, if it's so important, why are so many organizations struggling with this? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, we, we talk in so many spaces about a business case and a human case and the business case is retention, right? If you want to retain and attract your best employees, then they want to have a sense that they're there. I mean, I look at, and I'm sure you do too, look at what generations in the workplace want. And we think about Gen Z being this large force of work that's coming in and they want a place where they feel like they as humans, as, as people are going to be valued. We saw this one with millennials, um, less so with, with other generations, but I think all of us, I think there is a human, we have a human need to belong. Yeah. And if you look at current surveys, more people are making friends at work that they are than they are at other institutions. And so there is this sense that we have of needing to be connected to the people we work with. Um, so the business case, I would say, is attraction and retention. So we want to attract good as an employer. You want to attract really great talent. And if you have really great talent, you want to keep them and you don't want them to go because they are experiencing a traumatic workplace. They're experiencing a lack of belonging. They're experiencing a lack of connection. They feel like they're not valued. That's going to make people go. Um, and we see that over and over again in workplace surveys. You know, they might, and I've heard this in my own experience. I love the work that I do day to day. I just can't be with the people anymore. And mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. what causes people to go. Yeah. Um, I think from a human case, 
work is a huge institution and is a huge opportunity that I find I have I have um, left every workplace I've had with a really good friend who I've kept. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is different than Gallup's. Do you have a best friend at work sort of piece? Because some of those best friends at work, you leave work and they're you're no they're no longer part of your life or they're they're right. on your annual greeting card list. But some of them really do become very close friends. And I've had that experience throughout my life. And I think that that sense of a workplace being a place of connection and works, especially now in a hybrid and remote setting, you and I could be working together. There's no mm -hmm. way 10 years ago that it would be easy for you and I necessarily to work together on a day-to-day -day basis. But because we have spaces where people are meeting like we are virtually and having mm -hmm. this conversation virtually, there is just going to be so much more need for us to understand each other and for us to talk with each other and get to know one another. Um, and that's how our world is working now. And that's certainly how it was working in the pandemic. And I think for, for employers, it opens up so much possibility to be able to hire somebody in New York or in Salt Lake City and have them work together. But we're going to have really different points of view, potentially. We're going to have different day-to-day -day experiences. And if we added somebody who was living in a really, really rural environment, their day-to-day -day is going to look really different than somebody who's in an urban environment. So I think from a from a from just how we work together and how we understand each other, that's important too. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I agree about the the business case versus the human case uh, that you were laying out. And another piece of the business case that I think is just really important is there's a good amount of research that demonstrates when you have a culture of belonging where people feel seen and heard and, and psych in a psychologically safe environment, you just have better collaboration. You have better, you know, more creativity, more innovation. People are just more productive. So retention, you know, attracting and retaining good talent 100% absolutely goes up, but people, once they're there, they do better work when That's they right. feel part of a community. Uh, they, they accomplish more, they, they do better things and, and, you know, whether product services, whatever your organization does. Uh, and, and from the human case, of course, we all, we're, we're social animals. Human beings need interaction. Even introverts need, you know, a few close people in their, in their friend circle, um, to, to be able to thrive. And so the, the loneliness epidemic in society at large is a workplace problem. Like it's something that employers can't just say, oh, well, that's, you know, their personal life, they can take care of it. No, I mean, you really need to be thinking, how can we meet our workers where they're at and help them to thrive, not just in work, but in life, because the two are so enmeshed, like you can't just separate them out. That's right. That's right. And I think for so many people, so many adults, you spend more hours at work. I mean, I spend more hours at work often than I do with my family on a weekday. Um, sure, yeah. and, and I think that's true for a lot of people. So that social need, that social connection that work provides is important, not only because we spend a lot of time there, but also because it's the, it, it is a huge institution as part of an adult life in the same way that schools are for younger people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so if we zoom in now and talk more about building intentional community in hybrid spaces, let's explore some of the strategies that could go into that intentionality. Uh, again, acknowledging 
that we're in a different place today than we were even before the pandemic just a few years ago. Um, hybrid work isn't new. Uh, remote work isn't new. Like people have, I mean, you go bet decades back and there were entirely remote organizations. They weren't very common though. Uh, and so the number of people who are involved in remote or hybrid work today versus pre-pandemic, I mean, it's off the charts, right? So many people have now experienced it. They they see the benefits of it. Um, it's it's part of the rub, you know, between executive leadership and back to office mandates versus people, you know, wanting the flexibility and autonomy of of more remote or hybrid work. We're not going to get into all that today, but just acknowledging and realizing um, the rise of of hybrid and remote work and how ubiquitous it is in society today is really important. Uh, and then, you know, what are those strategies so that we really can meet people where they're at and start to intentionally build that community? Yeah. So I, I think in some ways the hybrid starts with structure. Hybrid can mean so many things. And I think you were sure. alluding to this. It might mean um, you can come to the office or you don't come to the office. It might mean we are going to have a one day a month that everybody comes into the office. We're going to have a couple of days a week and they're the same days of the week. And then you can decide, you know, your other days of the week. So I think it starts with structure. So intentionally deciding what is it that makes sense to you? Um, I would say that a hybrid structure where one day everybody is in the office and that that day is used for collaboration, it makes no sense for that day that everyone is in the office. If you're creating a hybrid structure for all of us to be on Zoom meetings in our office, then, <laughs> then like, why bother, right? right? I could do that from my home. I don't need to do that. So really thinking about those days that you have people together, co-located, whether it's an office or co-working space or wherever it is that you're bringing people together, that you're using that day for intentional connection. And that could look like lots of things. So that could look like cross-team cross meetings. It could look like problem-solving days. It could look like team building but trying to just replicate a usual day, I don't think is going to provide value to your employees when they're thinking about coming in for that day. So I think one is what's the structure going to be? Is your structure going to be, I want to intentionally say that there are days that we are going to have in-person days where we are co-located together that are community <clears throat> days. Well, then design those days like community days, design those days in days where we say, all right, we're going to come together. And today, John's going to talk about this gnarly problem that he's facing. And the rest of us are going to be problem solvers with him. And we're going to get to know one another differently, even if we don't work on John's project, even if we don't work on John's team, that that's something that we can do. So yeah, starting it, with, yeah, go ahead. If I, if I can just chime in on that, um, 100% yes. <laughs> so important and make, make it worthwhile. Like I, even those who are like really, really wanting the flexibility of remote work, understand the business need around getting together in person. And so if there's a reason to get together, 100%, just make that known, articulate what that reason is and make sure that you're designing that day or those days in the office in a way that actually leverages the in-personness of, of being together um, so that people can see that and they see the value. And if they see the value, people aren't going to grow. I mean, you might have some grumbling, but most, for the most part, people are going to be fine with it. And they're still going to be really happy about having more flexibility than maybe they used to. Um, what drives people nuts and drives me nuts is when you just have these arbitrary in-office 
kind of requirements saying, okay, you have to be here on this day, but nothing's different. And we've all experienced that. You walk around the office and you see everyone on Zoom meetings or Teams meetings or whatever. No one's actually physically interacting with each other. So what's the point? That's right. And what's the point? point? And that's in that drives people nuts, especially if they have a two hour commute or, you know, whatever, like they have kids stuff at school that they otherwise would have the flexibility to go to or whatever, like just make sure that it makes sense. And it's not just some arbitrary thing that I think it's important that everyone's in the office two days a week um, or whatever, make sure that it makes sense. And if you're trying to make sure that it makes sense to everybody, in my experience, that probably means you're not going to have one set standard for like the whole organization, especially if it's a massive organization. If you have thousands of employees and you just like send out this mandate that either everyone has to come back to the office or everyone has to do hybrid, you know, where they're back in the office two days a week or whatever, people's jobs are so different. The different functional areas and the different roles and the different types of work design that goes into all these different jobs is so different that having a one size fits all almost never works if you're trying to communicate the why behind it. So giving different uh, divisions and different uh, teams the flexibility to do what makes sense for them, then you can articulate the why. You can make sure that you design those experiences in such a way that it makes sense to them, that they can see the value. And and you're not going to have tons of resistance if that's the case. On the, on the other side, though, you will, and I think you deserve it <laughs> if it doesn't actually make sense. Yeah, and, and I think, too, even if you are a large organization and you want everyone to come back, are there things that you can do to say, we want everybody back on this one day, and here's how we're going to sweeten the pot a little bit. And it might be we're going to provide lunch and dinner because we want you to bump into each other. Because you don't bump into each other on Zoom. You're either invited to the meeting or you're not, you're not walking mm-hmm. out of that meeting together. So some of those informal connections aren't going to happen. So even if you are saying we're a big, we're a big organization, we want everybody to come back at a certain time, but you can create these pockets of space where people can connect um, in intentional and unintentional ways. So is that, you know, I know of an organization that provides lunch, for example, on the first, yeah. whatever, first Thursday of a month. Um, And that's a way to gently encourage people to come into the office, but with a purpose, which is we're going to provide lunch or we're going to provide breakfast so that you all can connect and socialize with one another. And that is part of community building. You know, there's, there's no better community building truly than than eating with your colleagues and, and kind of taking some of the work pressure off um, and just having a conversation. So I think there are lots of ways to do that. And on the flip side, I think the return to office mandate comes with this assumption that if we're all in the office, culture is magically going to be wonderful. There are plenty of people who will tell you that that's not the case. And as we were just talking about, if you're commuting in to just sit in your office and talk to no one else who's on your floor or in in your team or (laughs) in your organization, then you could be doing that from home. You could be doing that from a mountaintop. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But and can, I think you you may be more productive on that mountaintop. <laughs> I I know I would much rather be like sitting at a table in a beautiful park watching the river flow by than like stuck in some drab office, especially if I'm trying to do more kind of thoughtful, creative types of work. Right. Yes. So. Right. Just just 
I 100% agree. Just, just be aware of, of some of these dynamics and being in person can make it potentially easier to foster the type of culture, positive culture that you might want to have, but you still have to be intentional about it. It doesn't just magically happen. Um, I mean, culture will emerge regardless of whether you have a plan or not, but it may not be the culture you want and it probably won't be as healthy as you want. And there'll probably be toxic elements to it. So if if you're going to bring people back in, yeah, I mean, that could make sense and it could be the best thing for the organization and for your team, but it's not just magically going to be just because you happen to be in person. And there are things that you can do when you're not together to also create that culture. And I think this is a piece that people often miss. Mm -hmm. So I think about things like um, if you're using Slack or Teams or any of these these, um, types of things, how are you building community there? Mm -hmm. Are you asking people, you know, like share the third? I mean, these are goofy. And I think a lot of people did this when when many of us were, were in our homes working because we had to be socially distanced. But what's the third picture on your phone? Tell me a story about it. What is something fun that you did this weekend? Let's start our meeting with a fun question, right? These are all things that work in person. And by the way, they also work when you are remote. And so you can continue to build on that culture. And one of the things for hybrid is you can build on what you've done together as a team and continue that virtually. So if we've had a day where we've connected with one another, maybe one of your challenges to folks is to say, if you had a quick conversation with somebody, take 15 minutes before our next monthly in-office in meeting to connect with that person um, mm-hmm. virtually, right? So there are these little nudges that people can do that really help create more community and connection that folks could do both in person and reinforce it when people are virtual um, or apart. Yeah. And also there are, th- there are ways to build culture when folks are apart. And, mm-hmm. and to really drive that. So thinking about, you know, coming into a meeting and just starting with what is everybody feeling like today? Or one of, one of my favorite questions in, um, in October for folks is, is uh, around Halloween is what is, what is the thing that you would trade for? So like, what's the candy that you would trade mm-hmm. for, right? It's mm-hmm. a totally goofy question. It works if people have have gone trick or treating, um, and it does for many people create this visceral memory of sitting down and saying like, "I don't want," you know, sitting down with your friend and saying, "I don't want this, I want this." So, you know, what's your given? What's your trade? For example, um, goofy question, but it opens up this human piece of like, "Oh, I didn't know that." And then, if you're the leader and paying attention, you make a list of all of everybody's favorite treats. And the next time they're in the office, maybe some of those magically appear, right? So there are all of these ways that you can really thoughtfully build connection. And food isn't the only way, but it's it is a good way. It's a but great way. <laughs> it's a great. It's a great way, right? I mean, I, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm I'm not sneezing at anybody who leaves me chocolate, but but I do think that there are these things that can that you can do that get reinforced both in person and virtually. And we don't often think virtually about creating those spaces for those connections. I even think about, you know, if you're on a Zoom of 30 people saying, we're going to spend the first five minutes, you're going to connect with somebody in a breakout room and you're going to answer the prompt to this question. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't know who that person is. Maybe they're not somebody you usually talk to, but it's a way to build that connection and belonging and trust, which is what's going to help as we continue um, to work together. 
Yeah. And when you're isolated and in silos, it's hard to have that trust. So that's one of those really powerful benefits of community and creating a culture of belonging uh, when people get to know each other, that you 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 fundamentally create a different environment where trust can emerge, which is essential if you're going to collaborate with people uh, and try to do you know a, deal with the really hard um, complex challenges and issues that your organization may be facing. And everything that you just described, great examples, great uh, strategies, great steps and tips for leaders um, to keep in mind as they're trying to do this within their hybrid teams and and hybrid settings. Let's also remember, like, I think most of us did all of this just a couple years ago during the pandemic. Like, let's remember the lessons we learned when we were forced to do it, just because now we're not forced to, and we have more flexibility around whether we're in person or hybrid or remote, there's still benefits to each of those models. And we, we need to have an intentional strategy around what we're choosing to do and why. And then let's not forget the lessons from when we were forced to do it a particular way. Uh, no, you know, I don't think many people, especially in the early days of the pandemic and lockdowns, I don't think many people were super thrilled about that situation. But I saw so many examples, really positive examples of leaders intentionally leading out with empathy and trying to create that sense of community within their teams. And then I don't know, like we just kind of got apathetic around that or kind of lazy around that we just kind of figure ah it's it's whatever but no like we still have to be very intentional about it let's not forget those lessons yeah i the only last thing i'd add because i know that we're coming close to time is i implore leaders and people managers not not to cancel their one-on-ones i think their one-on-ones is a huge it's a huge connection point it's a huge lever of creating belonging and community individually but also finding out things like, hey, do you have an idea, John, about what we might do at our next day that we're all together? Or are there ideas? And that's something, some leadership that you can distribute among the team and give people credit. And so I, that is that is the other piece I think goes a long way in building trust and community is for leaders to keep their individual meetings with their, with their direct reports. Yeah, 100% agree. Well, thank you so much. I note the time, like you said, I'm going to have to let you go. But before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they connect with you, uh, how they can find out more about your work, uh, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn um, and then on my website, www.servehelal.com. I hope that we can get those in the show notes. Um, And as promised, I'm in New York and there goes an ambulance if you can hear it. Um, I would say the last thing is that community building, we often think about it as not having a place at work. And I would say community building is about creating a really strong and positive organizational culture within your team, within your workplace. Um, And there's so many lessons that you can get from different parts of your life that you can bring into work. I love it. I love it. I hope we can all be more intentional about creating these cultures of belonging and communities uh, really anywhere we happen to be, but in the workplace, it's it's very, very important. Thank you so much for taking your time to be with us. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about how you can help them. And as always, I wanted to give, I, I wanted to uh, invite everyone to stay healthy and safe, to find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. 
We hope you stay healthy and safe, and please join us again soon.